In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew. Hello, friends. It's mid-July, so training camp, knock on wood, marches closer and closer and closer and closer. So, <laughs> Drew Doherty, John Harris, got to talk with you about well, your favorite Houston Texans. Uh, John, how you been today? I've uh, been okay. A little tired. A little tired um, because you were up early. Why were you up at 4.30 in the morning, my friend? Well, I, sometimes I wake up 4.30. We went to Green Bay for training camp. I just couldn't sleep one morning. So I got up at 4.15, went for my runs, fine. But I haven't made a habit of it, especially during the pandemic. But uh, I got a chance to join my good friend, my former co-host, Sean Pendergast, in the Sports Radio 610 studios, do a show, did it from 6 to 10. It's fun. It was funny. I used to think I was good at radio. Um, but it really wasn't that. What I realized was Sean's just exceptional, and he just makes everybody around them better. Uh, all of his co-hosts have always been good when they've been with Sean. So um, I was really good for radio today and probably not other times because I'm not with Sean. Although when I'm with you guys, you guys make me good too. So it He's was, not just good at good radio. Show. He's good on TV. We have him on Texas yeah, 360, good. extra points yep. all the time, and he even writes for the Houston Press. But uh, – this show is not about Sean Pendergast, although we could have a show about Sean Pendergast. It'd be a great <laughs> show. And for the record, when I moved to Houston or moved back home to Houston, you guys were a show, Sean and John in the afternoons that I always listened to and, and enjoyed listening to. Sorry I missed you this morning. I had other stuff going on, but I'm sure it was awesome. We are ambassadors of the fans. You know, we wouldn't yes. have these jobs, you and I, were not for the fans of the Houston Texans. And we've got fans all over the place. Spring Branch, Sugarland, the Woodlands, Scotland, and a fan from Scotland at Scottish Texans. He saw something that uh, I posted about Laramie Tunsil last week on Twitter. Yeah. He responded and said, hey, I, I'd really like it if you guys would talk more about the – heck, why am I babbling? Why don't I just bring up the actual text? He said, and I quote, massive fan of Tunsil, will there be more podcasts – based around the offensive line. So, for Scotland, we're talking about the offensive line. And John, I'm very excited about this offensive line because as it stands now, it's healthy. We didn't see the, uh, the end, we didn't see the, the end of the rookie year. Titus Howard out at yep. right tackle, he was done by the time December came around because of a knee injury. But I talked with him about a month ago, he said he's healthy, said he should be ready to go. And when he was at right tackle starting, Next to Zach Fulton at right guard, next to center Nick Martin, next to rookie in 2019 Max Sharping, next to left tackle Laramie Tunsil. Those guys started together six times last year. Texans were 5-1 and one in those contests. I don't think that's a coincidence. It's not the only reason the Texans were 5-1, and one, but it's a big, big reason. And yep. going left to right, going right to left, I think this is the best iteration of the Texans' offensive line that we've seen since maybe 2011 and perhaps even 2012. 2012, they lost the right side. Eric Winston had been cut for salary cap reasons after 11. And then uh, Mike Brizel signed a big contract free agent wise with the Raiders. So you had rookies in Ben Jones at right guard and Derek Newton. He was a second year guy at right tackle. That was a good line. Yep. But I think the, the one the year before was the best. And I think this one the Texans have now is approaching that one. 
I don't disagree with you on any of that. I thought it was interesting. You know, last year, I remember we'd have these conversations and we'd talk about the offensive line because I'm pretty sure we got texts and tweets from Scotland wanting us to talk about the offensive line. Yeah, you know, we tried to put a positive spin on as much as we could well, at this point last year. Yeah, I mean, this is a big unknown at this point. Yeah, you know, we had Julian no Davenport was going to be your starting left tackle this time last yeah. year. And no offense to Julian Davenport, he's not Laramie Tunsil. No, he's not. Uh, and neither is Matt Khalil. And Matt Khalil was in the mix. No. And we had no idea what we really had with Titus Howard. And we had no idea what we had with Max Sharping. We knew the Texans had made an investment in the position to put a first rounder with Titus and a second rounder with Max. But you don't know. Yeah, you, you, you really don't. You hope, okay, if that comes to fruition, then, okay, maybe you've got at least two of the five taken care of. With Nick Martin, you saw more in 2018 to feel a little bit better about that. So, okay, there's three. All right, well, we're, we're getting there. But I think the addition of Laramie just solidified everything on the offensive line. Let Titus move over to right and let Laramie just slide right into left tackle where he's comfortable. And the flip side of that was Max Sharping didn't have to play at right tackle because Titus is at right tackle. Now Max can move into guard where he's probably better suited to play anyways. And so the pieces really kind of fit in place. But at this point last year, we're thinking, we're, we're hoping, like, man, hope this line comes together. Hope the rookies are good. Hope Nick Mark that we find a tackle. Hope that we – like all these different things we're hoping for. And a lot of them came to fruition. Now, the Texans have put a big investment in that. A couple first-rounders and however you want to look at the Tunsil deal, but a lot for Laramie. The second-rounder, Max. Second-rounder for Nick. And another second contract. Zach, they put money in during the free agent period a couple years ago. And then with Titus Howard, to put a first-round pick. They've put the investment in. But to get the reward out of that, I think they had to. And I think they have felt pretty good about what they have put in to those spots. So yes, they've made the investment. Now the investment started pay off last year. Cause at this point last year, when pro football focus and you know, my pals at PFF, they did a ranking, the offensive line, the Texans were 31st at that point rated 31st. And I remember having this conversation with you, Mark, everybody, man, if the offensive line could just be, <laughs> it's gonna sound weird, but if they could just be average, if yeah. they could just be average, just move up 10 spots on that ranking. I mean, just use that as a baseline. Just be average what this team could be, what it could be. Because once you get to average, you tweak it some more, you get beyond average. And you know, all of a sudden, before you know it, you've got an elite offensive line. Well, this year when PFF did its rankings, moved all the way up to 19th, 12 spots. It's a pretty significant move, but I think it probably fits. Now, I still think it's low. I think some of the teams that were in front with their offensive lines, I'm not sure I completely and totally buy that those lines are in front of the Texans. But it got better. But they certainly got better. And beyond that, to your point, Drew, they only were together six – well, they started six times together. Yeah. Six out of 16. Five in one of those games. The more that group plays together, the better off it's going to be. You hear coaches, you hear analysts, you hear people talk about it. You hear offensive linemen talk about it. The more you play together, the more you do anything together. When you and I first did our In Lab podcast, I'm sure it was good. It's good. We had done stuff together. But the more that we've done it, the better we have gotten at doing it because we know time watch, all that kind of stuff. Takes on new, yeah, new, the new, offensive new elements. Yeah, it gets better. It gets better. It gets better in time. These guys are all together. And 
Coach O'Brien said something at, at some point, I think it may have been the combine, he said, look, this is going to be the first year that they've been here. And then he says they've been here, 2014. But they're going to have the same offensive line one year to the next. That's, that's a – first of all, it's sad on one side that they've had such movement on the offensive line. The flip side of it, it's good that maybe they have found what they're looking for for a while. Laramie's 25. Max is going to second year. Titus second year. Nick uh, is early in his second contract. And Zach is the oldest of the group, but Zach's put some, together some really good games for this team. Um, and we'll see where it goes. But 80% of your line at a minimum is relatively young still. So you can and have it's it together essentially, for a while. you bring up that, that first time since they've been here. It's essentially the first time since 2010 going into 2011, and it's a very similar situation. First time that that same group is coming back. And that group back in 2010, everybody but Mike Brizel, they all I think they all pretty much started 16 games. There might be a, an exception here or there. But Brizel was in and out of the lineup pretty much his entire time here. I think he started one season all the way through in 08. Yep. But I think the other times, you know, he had weird injuries and didn't get to go. So it's a lot like that 2010 to 2011 mix in that you've got some – some established guys and you get some young guys coming in, but there's continuity and it's, yeah. it's going to be fun to see that continuity. It's especially going to be fun with the three new pieces from last year, the two rookies Tunsil, because of the cohesion. You know, I talked with Nick Martin early on in the pandemic, but he had some really cool things to say about some of these guys. There's a little article up on HoustonTexans.com, but one of the quotes I really liked that Martin had to say about Titus Howard is this, He's a finisher. He gets in there and he wants to destroy people, which is really good. And that's what you want in alignment. That's who you want to play next to. And then about Sharping, he said he's a professional. He does everything the right way, comes to work. He's got his routine. He's obviously very intelligent and bright, which helps because the NFL is not easy. Obviously, he grew in his first year, but I think he'll make a big jump in year two. Now, if he makes a big jump from what we saw last year, which was very, very good. And if both these guys make big jumps like Nick Martin thinks can happen, I mean, you're looking at, at an offensive line that's going to be one of the best in the NFL because you already have a guy who's scratching on all pro status at left tackle in Laramie yep. Tunsil. And then you've got guys who are ascending, I think, Nick Martin at center. He had, a, had his yep. best season as a pro last year. He's finally yep. getting to play a lot. And then Zach Fulton. So we'll see. But I'm very, very excited hearing those things from Nick Martin and seeing what we saw last year in limited action uh, for 2020. I think, and I've heard some people locally say about Titus, you know, they think that he'll have a regression, you know, due to the knee injury and not being able to rehab. And I, I don't know that I, I totally see that. He has been able I to think, rehab. I think it's going the other way. I think yeah. Titus is, is ready to take strides to be one of the better tackles in this league in due time. Because of that, he can finish people. He's got that demeanor. He, want, he wants to. Not only can he, he wants to. And that's impressive. Now, Max is, Max is a little different. Max, to me, is, is the technician. Like, he is hands, placement, feet, all of that is, is perfect uh, when you watch him. And I think that really helps him. And, and I'll say this about those two rookies. When we went to L.A. last year, week three, I remember you and I – uh, we're talking, and I remember you saying to me, hey, look, I think they're going to go with the offensive line we've been talking about. And that meant Max at guard and then Titus out to right tackle. And I just remember saying to you, like, 
we're going to face Ingram and Bosa all day long. Nasty front. Man. And we're going to have two rookies that are going to have to be responsible for those guys at some point, especially Titus at right tackle going against either Bosa or Ingram throughout the game. And they were rock solid. And I just remember as that game wore on, you could see how that line was coming together. And Deshaun was having time. And look, it wasn't perfect. Titus on the, the big touchdown by Jordan Akins, you know, Titus, uh, Melvin Ingram got a great jump off the ball. Titus was a little slow, going out of his stance, ended up beating him to Deshaun. And that's who Deshaun ends up shaking off and then finding Akins for a touchdown. But other than that, Deshaun had time to throw. They ran the ball well against a really good defensive front. And I thought, man, if this group can stay together, whew, this group could be this group could be pretty good, um, but they've got to play more than six games together a season. Yeah. Let's, let's just be honest about that. But when you think about the playoff game and you think about not playing with Titus and how valuable I think he ends up being for this organization due time, you realize, man, that's a big loss. It's a really, really big loss. And I think playing together is going to help. When it's, whether it's listening to Sean's cadence, whether it's line calls, whether it's just playing together, just looking at one another going, just, just, just a look. It's like, hey, you don't have to say anything. Like, oh, I know what that means. Um, and I think that's going to help this group. Nick stepped up leadership-wise, really kind of taking over up front uh, as the guy. And I think they've got some pieces up front that I think they can do some really good things with. The one thing, Drew, I thought was interesting, in going back and looking at that PFF article, I just watching the Texans, gut reaction. I felt like the Texans ran the ball fairly well last year. I mean, Carlos Hyde goes over a thousand yards. You know, Deshaun at four hundred or so. Duke yeah, had the about Texans got so. the offensive line got killed for their run blocking, which it doesn't. Yeah, run. you have a thousand yard rusher and you do some good things on the ground. It's it's kind of tough to give your offensive line failing grades, which is essentially what they got. Yeah, they they ended up getting some really low grades from a run blocking standpoint. I thought, boy, that's interesting. Because I, I thought they ran it pretty well, but obviously it, it opens up in, in their assessment some opportunities to be a little bit better on the offensive line, to finish those run blocks, to make sure they're a little bit more on point with the run game. Um, and once they do that and when they do that, this offensive line is going to be pretty complete because I would have thought the other way because you give up – you know now, I, I know, you know, they get up a lot of sacks early in the year when they're trying to figure out that combination. Right. But when they had those six on the field, I'm sorry, those five on the field for those six games, the sacks and the pressures were way down, way down. Not down at zero, but they were way down from where they were the rest of the year. So from that standpoint, I would have thought it'd been the other way, that if they did have some failing grades, it would have been in pass pro, not run blocking. But it was the other way around. So there's room for improvement, obviously, uh, in the run blocking game. Look, there's room for improvement uh, in the pass protection game, too. None of this 40 or more sacks anymore. No. The offensive line's got to be better than that. This, this can't be a situation where drives get stopped because we're giving up sacks. Um, the one thing I will say they made a major improvement on was not giving up sacks against three or four-man rushes. Right. Sacks had to come from five- and six-man pressures, and that's where the sacks were coming from for the most part, especially as they finally got in a groove, four-man pressures weren't getting there. And, and that and just four-man rushes weren't getting there. And I think that was a major step improvement because that was happening in 2018. Four-man pressure, somebody was getting to the quarterback, and that can't happen. And that stopped, so now let's take the next step. Let's start picking up 
and, and making sure that we're effective against five and six man pressure. And if we do that, an opportunity to be pretty good up front. All right, let's talk about this because they did go five and one, that combo, but that means you had 10 games where they, they weren't starting together. So you got to be prepared. You got to have guys in reserve. Now we saw a lot of Roderick Johnson last year. He was, yeah. you know, put into the mix. There was a time there where, where folks were thinking he might even start at left tackle. That was in the preseason before Tunsil got acquired. Greg Mance, he can float and play any of the guard spots as well as center. Started basically every game at center back in the Brock Osweiler year of 2016. So you have yep. him back as well. You also drafted a guy fairly high, uh, and he projects in Charlie Heck as someone who could challenge or maybe even replace Roger Johnson there as a backup swing tackle. And then a guy who was on the practice squad last year, you got to remember to take a look at Rick Leonard might be developing into something where you see the, the, the backups, the reserve offensive line depth as we head into 2020 and how important might these guys be? Because we saw how important they were last year. You had to play some games with Chris Clark. He was, uh, he'd called it quits. He had retired basically. Mm -hmm. And two weeks later he was out there starting for the Texans out on the edge. Yeah. I think, what what Clark was able to give them, considering he didn't have OTAs, mini camps, missed all training camp, to hop in and even be a viable option at tackle, I think speaks to the professionalism of a guy like Chris Clark. Yep. And uh, I know he would probably tell you, look, in his younger days, he probably had played you know better in certain circumstances. But hats you gotta, off yeah, to you him. Gotta, man, for what, what you just brought up, it's important to remember situation you can't just look at him in a vacuum right you got to remember what he had given he was on the beach so to speak he was retired <laughs> yeah. yeah in october i mean yeah. i talked with uh somebody who had seen him at, at a church function and <laughs> this guy said yeah he's just enjoying retirement he's having a good i was like good for chris clark you know i'm happy for yeah. him. he's a good guy uh he played a long time in the league that's great for him i'm happy and then two weeks later he's starting for the texans out on the edge so i think it's very very important to look at that and not just in a, in a prism of you know black or white how he played because it was a very very unique situation for him I'll never forget I talked to him and having known him when he was with the Texans earlier yeah and uh, so I saw him in the locker room and he was walking back kind of to his locker as I was walking past and I kind of looked at him I said I said Clark how you feeling he just looked at me and I, I know that look he's looked <laughs> at me and he goes I'm dead I'm just exhausted. He was exhausted. Football and, shape and, is a different beast, man. Yeah, I mean, it, he just said he was. He was. He said the last, the last few, uh, the last few minutes that game, he was hanging on. I can't remember which game it was. I want to. I want to say it was the the Raiders game, but could be wrong. Either way, I think the investment in Charlie Heck is an interesting one. I, I, I when it, I didn't expect them to look at a tackle, but I wasn't surprised that they did. And then when I saw who it was, it made even more sense. You're talking about Charlie Heck, the son smart. of a coach, smart, um, you know, long, I mean, a long tackle body, but I don't think he would ever move into guard. I don't think, but I've seen crazier things happen, but he, his dad is an NFL offensive line coach with the Chiefs, grew up under that. He played very well in North Carolina. I thought he had a solid senior bowl. I don't know if it was the best I've ever seen, but you can just see the things about him and you can see that both sides. So with a guy that you hope is your swing tackle, 
that you've got it right with Tunsil and with uh, Titus, that he is your swing tackle, that he can play either side. He can step in. He can be the Greg Mance at the tackle position that the real Greg Mance is for the center and the guard position Mm -hmm. because Mance can step in and play center. He can step in. He can play guard. He has shown that. He stepped in for a whole season to play center. He stepped in. Uh, I think Zach was banged up in the game against the Panthers, so Greg had to go in and play Greg, guard. Yeah, Greg played a lot last year. He yeah, absolutely. Lot. I think of Greg more as the the sixth offensive lineman than I do a backup, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, and I and, said the word backup, and that that was an error. No, I, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't mean it for you. I just when yeah. I think about, I just I think of him as like this. I remember when University of North Carolina, they had, uh, back in 1998. Dean Smith, Bill uh, Guthridge used to refer to the team as they had six starters. And what they did was they eventually, they would rotate six guys. And then one guy, they would just pick a guy, pick it out of a hat, and that guy would be the sub, and they would rotate. And not that you do that with an offensive line. It's a little different. But, in fact, me and Greg Manston strikes me and has always struck me as the sixth offensive, the, the sixth offensive line starter. But Rod Johnson came – a significant amount in in 2019. A significant amount. I even told him that early in training camp. I went up to him. I said, "Whatever you're doing, keep doing it because you look like a different player, bro. Completely different player." Yeah. And he appreciated that. I, you know, that I said that to him, and he did. He played. So between Rod and Charlie Heck and Greg Mance, I think you have the the guys on the inside or I'm sorry, the guys on the offensive line to back up the guys. Yeah. Those guys are there. They're, they're there in a pinch. Now, will there be a surprising camp? Because last year, let's be honest, Rod Johnson was a surprising camp. He sure was. He was a, and a great surprising Very camp. Very pleasant. Yeah, he, he, he contributed in a huge way because he gave you, he gave you some flexibility. He could, he could play there at the right tackle when you needed him. He was yep. capable of playing at, left, at the left. T- I mean, that's, that's not hard to switch back and forth from. And he was yeah. able to kind of help you out in that regard. Yep, absolutely. And so, to me, those if, – if I were – if somebody said, hey, what's, what's the seven or eight-man offensive line for 2020? I could give that to him right now. But if you extend that and go to nine or ten men on the offensive line, then I'm like, hmm, numbers nine and ten get kind of interesting. Yep. Get really interesting. You know, can, can a guy like Alex Woodworth from North Texas as an undrafted rookie – a guy that played tackle for a long time who, when he's listed on the roster, he's listed as a center. You know, is that something that he can adapt to? Are we even going to be able to find out? Does he have a preseason game or two that he gets to show that? I, I don't know. And so that's where I think it's going to be, it's going to be pretty tough to show that um, and for other guys to kind of break in. So if I'm a betting man, those would be the eight guys that I would say would be your offensive line. And then nine and ten – you know, you mentioned Rick Leonard. You know, that could be a guy with his tackle experience, very athletic guy, has always been an athlete, you know, but can it click so he can be number nine or number 10? Can he even move into that eight? Does he bump Charlie Heck out if he has a great yeah. uh, a great training camp? Uh, it, it's hard to say whether he can do that or not, but I think what they and how they've gone about it, building that offensive line, realizing in 2017, we've got this guy behind us, number four, We've got this investment. Let's protect the investment. And so they've gone out and made even more investment in that, even not just to the starting five, 
But drafting a guy like Charlie Heck, having a guy like Greg Mance around, developing a guy like Rod Johnson, those are all factors in how this offensive line will play in 2020 and beyond. I'm glad you brought that up, and that's how we're going to finish because protecting Deshaun is the key. And in my conversation with Titus Howard, he said, quote, that's our goal. I got to do everything I got to do, no matter what it is, to protect him. Like Coach said when I first got here, I'm his bodyguard. That's what I was brought here to be. So I got to be nasty. I've got to be dirty. I've got to do whatever I've got to do to protect him. And that's what I'm going to do. So encouraging words to hear after a pretty encouraging first season. You don't spend a first-round pick on a guy that you don't think is going to grow a lot and be really good for you. And that's who the Texans think. And that's who I think you and I think as well. Titus Howard is going to turn out to be as well as Max Sharping. So I think the arrow is definitely pointing up for the Texans offensive line. And uh, John, I can't wait to talk with you again next week. Does that sound good? That sounds great, brother. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, man.